0: look at this question, I I wonder, well, what are the emotions behind this question? Is this question being asked out of curiosity? You know, possibly some people are, they want to know the answer to this question to, to maybe satisfy some philosophical dilemmas that they have in their mind. I can also see this question being asked out of uh, personal confusion. I can see someone scratching their head a little bit, wondering, God, what is going on? I don't get why you let the world get as it it is today. It's pretty easy imagining this question being asked out of personal pain and suffering. Um, Sure, life's not perfect, but it was going okay. And then it happened. And now everything's different. I can't sleep at night. I cry all the time. I can't concentrate at work. I've built these walls around my life to protect my fragile soul. There are also particular angles to look at this question. There's the God angle, meaning we're wrestling with God himself. It reminds me of Lamentations chapter 3 when the author writes, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me, he turns his hand again and again this whole day long. You know, this biblical writer is so bold as to say, God is the problem. God's doing this. There's also the personal angle. Like, why did why did these bad things happen to me? To my son? to my health. Then there's also what I call the, the meaning angle or the purpose angle. That, and that's the angle we're actually going to look at this morning. Like, why would God let these bad things happen? Like, we know bad things happen. We know even that God allowed it. We, we just don't know why. What's the purpose? What's God trying to do in my life? So we're not really looking at this as from a philosophical point of view. It's not even so much that we're doubting God. It's just we don't understand. And we don't know how to take these bad things and we don't know how to understand them in light of what God is trying to do in our lives. Why would God allow bad things to happen? To that end, we're gonna study out of 1 Peter chapter 1. So grab a Bible if you would and turn, turn there towards the back of your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 1. And before we read, let me ask God's help to hear His word this morning. God, I am I'm aware that this question is troubling to some here today because, God, they are going through significant trials and it is really challenging their faith, their trust. They're hoping you, they don't know where to go. They don't know what, they don't know how to incorporate the, the challenges of life into their relationship with you. God, please, please serve us well especially my friends today who are in the valley. Help us hear now your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we're gonna read verses six and seven of First Peter chapter one. It's our principal passage this morning. It reads this way. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved By various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Peter begins verse 6 by saying, In this you rejoice. Now, what he's rejoicing in or what he's saying the church is rejoicing in is the promised salvation that every follower of Jesus will receive in the last day. We see that in verse 5. Look at verse 5 with me, if you will. We're we're picking up mid-sentence, mid-thought. He's saying, who, you, this church, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in last time. There's a salvation waiting for you it's coming to you in that in that last day now why wouldn't we rejoice in a day where our sins will be forgiven where where we will be changed never to sin again where there will be no more weeping or mourning or crying or death Peter has his eyes fixed on that day and he's rejoicing in the total and the complete salvation that he and this church will have in that day what a glorious day to think about what a wonderful thing to get your eyes on but what peter does though is he contrasts that that coming day with the present reality look at that next phrase in verse six in this you you rejoice though now We've got a future to rejoice in, though right now, we've got some trials to contend with. Right now, we've got some troubles that are causing us grief. Right now, there are some broken relationships, bodies failing us, a deck of cards that seems stacked against us, opposition in a variety of capacities. Even though our future with Christ is going to be beyond amazing, we need help today because right now there are these various trials that are grieving us. doesn't say what the trials are. He just says various trials. Reminds me of what we see in James chapter 1 verse 2 where James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Sounds a lot like the question we have, like why does God allow bad things to happen any kind of bad thing that the kinds of things that bring suffering and heartache and struggle like why wouldn't God spare us these things yes indeed we will rejoice in the coming salvation but what should we think about these bad things these various trials that are causing us grief today And, and look at that word grief right you see that grieved by various trials. So just to make sure you know that Peter is talking about the heavy stuff, about the heartbreaking and agonizing challenges, he mentions that these various trials are causing grief. Our heart aches for the day when these trials will be over. That's why Revelation 21 verse 4 is such a glorious Gloriously hopeful verse, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither there shall be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. What a day. Now we are not immune from these things, are we, 1st Baptist? You know, speaking very generally, in the last several months, too many of you have received bad news. Bad news about your health. Um, I hate the fact that cancer is getting a little too familiar around here. Not a big fan of that. I know others of you have, have had other health concerns for you or for your family members. Some of you have endured relational family strife for too long. And you just don't know what to do. And we don't share that stuff, obviously, publicly. You know that, that These are your stories to tell, not ours. So we, we try hard to, to respect privacy. Though I would encourage you, don't walk through these, these hard, lonely journeys by yourself, my good friends. You're dying on the inside. Part of the life that God wants to give you is the help from your brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and so obviously, we're not, I'm not suggesting necessarily that you share that publicly but at least that small circle of friends, your brothers and sisters in the Lord, maybe you know, maybe a little bit wider circle to get people praying for you. You need that. I need that. We all need that. And there is a right bearing with one another. like We share the, each other's loads. And when we link arms in good times and in bad, it, it, it fosters a kind of, of um, community that brings about the best in us, even in the hardest moments. And so I just want to encourage you to make sure that you're sharing these trials that are causing you grief with others because that's part of the help that God has for you. And we want to do everything we can to be a blessing to you. Now let's so so that's the problem, that's the circumstance. Let's keep moving then into the the answer to the question. That's in verse 7. Verse 7 is the key verse. Look at verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now anytime you're reading your New Testament, especially the New Testament letters, like First and 2 Peter, Ephesians, Galatians, Romans, when you see that so that, so that phrase, that so that clause, at the beginning of verse seven, you're seeing an intended result. You are are seeing an intended goal. It's about purpose. It's about meaning. And, And that's the full focus of our question, right? Like, why is God allowing these bad things to happen? Here's the purpose. What's the meaning of this pain? What's the purpose of God bringing about these troubles? Peter is actually answering your question. He's telling you what God is up to in your life when the bad things happen. Now let me summarize what I would say Peter is saying here and then we'll get into the details of it because I think those are very helpful too. But according to Peter, now you have to remember, Peter is an inspired author, meaning he is speaking God's very words to us. So that means God himself through Peter is telling you what God Almighty is up to in your trials. So Peter is saying that we are grieved by various trials so that our faith in Christ becomes a kind of faith that results in more praise and glory to Jesus when we meet him face to face. That's what he's up to. Or another way of saying that might be, we are grieved, by various trials so that our faith is changed and perfected in such a way where God is more glorified in us when we meet him in the end. That is what God is up to. That's the purpose. Now let's get into the details. The first thing I wanna draw your attention to is that phrase, the tested genuineness of your faith. Do you see that there in verse seven? So that the tested genuineness of of your faith. Do you know what Peter is getting at here? You and I really don't know what kind of faith we have until we go through the fires of suffering. We think we know. We think we know what kind of faith we have. We think we have a faith that is strong enough. We think we have a faith that will endure when the bad times come, but we don't know. We don't know until the suffering and trials come. I know many of you know the story from the Old Testament, how God led his people out of Egypt, saving them and bringing them into the wilderness. I have to think that the Israelites, God's people who were delivered out of Egypt, must have had the highest of possible spiritual highs. They must have felt like they were walking on water. Think of it, the 10 plagues, the Red Sea split in half, the armies of Egypt destroyed, the bounty, the riches of Egypt in their own pockets. They had everything they could possibly need. Unspeakable displays of God's power and grace. And then the wilderness. No water, no food, no home, exposed to danger on all sides. And it took just one month, one month for them to say, send us back. Send us back to Egypt. Life was so much better there. Just one month of struggle, one month of trouble. And they were convinced that God did not love them and that Egypt, this place of bondage, was the best place for them. And guess what? They had 40 more years waiting for them in the wilderness. Have you ever wondered why did God lead them into the wilderness? Why would God do such a, spe- such a spectacular job saving them from slavery in Egypt and then send them into the wilderness of trouble? I think we ask that about ourselves sometimes too. Like God saves us from our sins, but he doesn't save us from cancer. Like God gives us forgiveness of sins, but he does not give us relief from depression. Like God promises us the riches of heaven and an inheritance waiting for us. And yet at the same time, we go through financial hardships on this earth. Like, why does God allow these bad things to happen? I thought he loved me. I thought that's why he saved me. And then he lets me go through all this trouble on this earth. Why did God keep me in the wilderness? Well, the Lord actually gives us an answer in the the book of Deuteronomy. So grab a Bible and again, flip to Deuteronomy chapter 8. I want you to see this for yourself. This is one of those kind of like, oh, I'm going to put a star by these verses. At least that's what I have in my Bible. Little underlines, whatever. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Now you have to understand, Deuteronomy was written 40 years later. Meaning, after their 40 years of journeying in the wilderness, the book of Deuteronomy was written to them to remind them of all that God did and all that God said so that they're ready to take the promised land. So 40 years later, this is what we read in Deuteronomy 8, verses 1 and 2. The whole commandment that I command you today, you should be careful to do. That you may live and multiply and and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness... That he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. Whether you would keep his commandments or not. Do you see the purpose of the wilderness experience there in verse 2, 1st Baptist? It was to humble the people to test them. Now, you have to remember, you know, these tests that God gives, it's not like a pass or fail test. God doesn't give a test and if you pass, you get entrance. And if you fail, you, you get pushed along the side. It's not that kind of test. It's the kind of test that reveals something. And the test was meant to unveil. It was to remove the blinders about the peop- from the people's perception of what? Of their own hearts. Do you see that there in verse 2? God was revealing their hearts through the wilderness. And that's what struggles do. Struggles reveal what you love, what you prize, what you trust. Friends, we do not know that like we need to know that until we go through our trials. You and I actually need struggles. We need suffering to reveal what kind of faith we have. And then do you know what we do when we see the kind of faith that we have, when it's lacking or when it's not as sure or as strong or as firm as it ought to be? What we do is then we turn back to God. That's the design. The design of the struggle is that you would see your heart as it really is, By the trial, and when you see it as it is, you say, God, I need you more. I thought I had a faith that would endure, I thought I had a faith that would hold on to you, and I realized through this trial I didn't. God, I'm sorry. And yes, God, thank you for forgiving me, thank you for helping me. And now, will you give me the strength to endure? Help me see the things that I need to change. And we have this gracious God waiting for us. With forgiveness and with kindness to keep drawing us to himself. That's what God is up to. Struggles facilitate in us a renewed and deeper faith in God. That's the design. Now look what Peter says about this renewed and deeper faith that you get through your trials. Look what he says in verse 7, again, of 1 Peter. He says... They are more precious, it is more precious than gold. An ounce of gold, I just checked, I think this past week, I think it was around $1,500. That's how much an ounce of gold is worth today. $1,500, just one ounce. It would be the size of a coin, a little coin. That can buy you a lot of stuff. And then through on top of that, I'm guessing maybe some of you would be here. You have some precious metals that was maybe passed down from a father or a grandfather. And so now it's even more precious because not only is it valuable in its own right, but it's valuable to you because of the sentimental value that it holds to you. It's precious. And God is saying that that this renewed faith is more precious than gold. Refined by the fire. That's how precious and valuable this faith is. Now here's the key. Here's something very important for you to remember and think about as we try to, as we try to think about even our own faith and, and when bad things happen in our lives. The key to trusting God and loving God in the midst of your pain, my good friends, is believing that a refined faith that leads to greater glory in heaven is more precious than anything you could lose on this earth you will not count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds if you do not believe that Jesus Christ is the greatest prize you could ever have and that the things of heaven are of greater value than anything on this earth if your family is a greater prize if your health if your reputation, if your friends, if your very own life is a greater prize than Jesus and magnifying Jesus, you will curse God in your struggles. You will blame him and you will hate him. And so you have to see and believe that the things of eternity are of greater value than the things of the earth. Do you believe that? That is something that would be really good for all of us to go home and ask ourselves, do I believe that? Do I believe? Do I believe that the treasures of heaven are of greater worth than the things on the earth? Now you might say, I don't know. And that's probably the most honest answer you might give. And you know when you'll find out? Through the trial. Now this is what Paul's getting at in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So let's, let's look there. One more passage of scripture. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is what Paul's getting at in this passage. I want to read for you verses 16 through 18. Verses 16 through 18 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul wrote, so we do not lose hearts. He's saying, we don't get discouraged. We're not going to give up in the face of all these trials. He says, though our, uh, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. That inner self, that's the same kind of stuff that Peter was talking about, having a faith that's being refined by the fire. Verse 17, for this light is, Momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul is saying these current afflictions, these trials, cannot be compared to the glory that's being prepared for you, 1st Baptist. And then you notice how looking at our sufferings with the eyes of eternity makes all the difference. We can't, friends, we can't see right now with these eyes the exceeding joy that we will have worshiping Jesus with a purified faith in the coming age. We can't see that with these eyes. We can't see with these eyes right here the lasting pleasure we will experience In the presence of Jesus with a renewed faith. We can't see that with these eyes. With these eyes right here, do you know what we see? We see trouble. We see heartache. We see the effect of the chemo treatment. We perceive the loneliness of being in a bed all by ourselves. And so what I guess I'm trying to say is this. I understand that the things of the earth feel so close. They feel so real to us. Like they are what's most important. But the scriptures are telling us the opposite. The opposite. They are transient. They are fleeting. They are temporary. They're here today and gone tomorrow. The stuff that we can only see with the eyes of faith. The glory of God. Um, the splendor of Christ. The worth of a, a refined, of a refined faith. The joy of all of us being around the the feast of God's table, enjoying our heavenly meal together. Friends, that's going to happen. That's going to happen. All of us are going to be around a table feasting and enjoying each other's company with others who know the Lord Jesus Christ and the presence of God. Like That's going to happen. That's the stuff that's going to last forever. And you can't see that with these eyes. You can only see that with the eyes of faith. And so what I'd like to do here just in the, in the last minute or two is I want to talk strategy. So I, I answered the question in that you, we, are, we are grieved by various trials. Bad things happen to us. God allows them to happen to us because he's, he's refining a faith in us through the trials so that we, so we can honor and glorify him as he is worthy to be glorified in the last day. But what I want to do now is I want to give you some strategies. Like, let's talk about what you need to do today so that when the bad things happen, we're standing on a sure foundation and we don't curse God. I just have two things. I've shared with them in the past before, but they're just so important. I feel like I have to share them again. And the first thing is revealed right there in that 2 Corinthians 4 passage. You know, in verse 18. Look what Paul is doing. Look what Paul is doing in verse 18. He says, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. So Paul's actually doing something, not to get discouraged. And what he's doing is he's looking, looking to the unseen realities of heaven. That's what he's looking at. And friends, you can do that too. Like you can do that. You can look with the eyes of faith, to the unseen realities of heaven that will give you courage and joy in the midst of your trials. Believing that God is up to something good in your life. I know what we're tempted to do. We're tempted to stare at the trial. We're tempted to stare at the trial. And when we stare at the trial, all we think is is what we're losing and the pain we're going through. And so friends, we have to be resolved to look at the unseen realities to keep going. And so I just want to encourage you now, because this is an action thing. This isn't just a, well, I'll think about it. No, this is an action step. What are you giving your attention to? Like, how much time are you giving attention to the things of God? I'm afraid, for example, if the only time you're thinking about eternal things is for 30 minutes on a sunny morning, you will not endure the trial. You just will not. You have to see through the scriptures and with the help of your brothers and sisters in Christ and through other spiritual disciplines, you have to be, you have to be looking at these promises, these uh, gifts of God, these truths on a regular basis to endure. Or are you, you know, so rather than looking at Facebook all day, rather than watching YouTube videos all day, you know, rather than doing these other things, we have to be looking at the things of God. Now the second strategic piece that I want to encourage you with is embracing this stuff today. Don't wait for your trial. If you put this stuff on the back burner and then when your trial comes, you're like, oh yeah, what did Pastor Brian say about that? It is too late. You are not ready. You're going to be swept up in the hurt and the confusion and the trial. You know, when, when we go through our trials when God rips away the veil of what our faith is really like we're not thinking in that moment I am so thankful to God that he's refining my faith that is not what we think about we're thinking God what are you doing and God why would you do this and so my encouragement would be is that you have to begin thinking and believing this stuff today don't wait do not wait tell yourself right now what God is doing in the bad times so that when the bad times come, you're ready. Just to encourage you, after God reveals to the people of Israel what he's up to and what he was up to in those 40 years, he also reminds them and tells them what they're about to achieve and receive. And so I want you to listen to these words and listen to them as, the, as a as a metaphorical picture of the reward that God is leading you to when you have a refined faith in him and so this is what we read and starting in verse 7 of Deuteronomy chapter 8 it'll be on the screen for you for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land a land of brooks of water And be full and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you.